0: So I have the pleasure of preaching to you this morning as the Baileys just got back from a week of traveling and being with family. Um, I'm happy to get to give Joseph a little bit of break, who's been preaching very consistently for a while now, every week. Um, So I hope and pray that you will open your hearts um, to me as we come to God's Word together this morning. And uh, Pastor Belcher just read to us 2 Corinthians 4. Uh, which is where our sermon comes from this morning. I'm going to be focusing on the very end of this chapter. But as with many places in Scripture, it is important that we understand, or in order to understand what we're reading, we have to understand the context. Um, and what's going on. And generally speaking, it's not a great idea just to jump into random places of Scripture and hope to to get some great insight just from reading one sentence or a couple of words. Of course, there might be exceptions to that. Proverbs, you can jump into Proverbs and get some wisdom pretty quickly. You can jump into the Psalms and short sections like that. But especially when we jump into the middle of a letter, a New Testament letter, there's some work to be done to understand what's going on. And so I want to spend a little bit of time walking through what leads up to our verses uh, this morning. But in verse 1 of chapter 4, which Pastor Belcher read to us, the, well, first of all, who is writing the letter to the Corinthians? Who knows? Yes, Jubilee. Jubilee. Paul, the Apostle Paul. Now, this is important. He says in verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, Now we, since we have this ministry. So if just Paul is writing, who do you think that we is? Who's the we? Do you know, Liam? Very well done, yes. It is Paul and Timothy. If you go back to chapter 1, it says that Paul is writing this letter with Timothy So, Paul says, since we have this ministry, now we have to ask another question. What is the ministry he is talking about him and Timothy having from God? Well, you need to go back and look in chapter 3 if you want to know what he's talking about. He calls the ministry that God has given to them a couple of things. He calls it the ministry of the Spirit. He also calls it the ministry of righteousness. Now, he's talking about the glorious ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which he says has more glory than the fearful ministry of the Old Testament law under who delivered the law to the people of Israel? Yes, Tate. Moses, that's right. So in chapter 3, the Apostle Paul spends time conspari- comparing the ministry of the Old Testament law through Moses to the ministry of the New Testament through Jesus Christ. And in chapter 3, the Apostle Paul reminds the Corinthians how Moses, when he came down from Mount Sinai, do you guys remember what Moses looked like when he came down from Mount Sinai? Yeah, zeal. Looked like an angel? How did he look like an angel? It doesn't say that in the text, but why why do you say that? Yeah, God's glory was reflecting off of his face. It says that Moses' face was shining. And it was glorious and shining, so much so that the people of Israel, they asked Moses, please cover up your face. Put a veil over your face. We can't handle the glory of God. It wasn't because Moses was ugly. It was because his face was shining. He had spent time with God face to face, and his face showed it. And it it reflected the glory of God such that the people were afraid. Now, Paul talks about this glory in Moses' ministry of the law in order to talk about the even greater glory that the ministry of the gospel has under Jesus Christ. If you read the first several chapters of 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul teaches the church about the glorious ministry of the gospel. And that glorious ministry isn't just a message, it's not just words that come to us. Now the gospel is a message, but the ministry of the gospel is more than just words, it's more than just a message. It is the glorious and powerful work of the Holy Spirit in each Christian And what is that work that the Holy Spirit does inside of a Christian? Well, we learn from the Apostle Paul that as Moses reflected God's glory after spending time with God, in a similar way, the Christian who communes with Jesus Christ begins to reflect the glory of Christ as the Holy Spirit works in our hearts. And the glory of Christ at work in our hearts is even more glorious, if you can believe it, than the glory reflected on the face of Moses when he was brought the law to the people. But there's a paradox that we run into here. The Apostle Paul is going on about how glorious the ministry of the gospel is, but there's a problem. There wasn't a whole lot about the Apostle Paul, outwardly speaking, that was Glorious. If people had asked him to cover up his face, it probably would have been to cover up all of his scars, not to veil the rays of light beaming from his face. In fact, we learn from Paul's letters that the people he ministered to were often embarrassed of him because of his scars. This is especially true of the Christians in Corinth who tended to prefer preachers and teachers who were a bit more presentable than the Apostle Paul was. There were other preachers and teachers who carried themselves with much more outward glory. There were other men whom you actually wanted to follow because, well, they looked great. After all, they had tattoos and big beards and hip glasses, and they were very nuanced and clever in their speech. And the gospel they were preaching came with greater promises of pleasure and satisfaction in this world. But Paul and Timothy not much glory to speak of if we're thinking outwardly how these men looked the apostle paul gives us a few clues later in this letter how glorious his appearance was or wasn't in chapter 11 he tells us that he received 39 lashes from the jews that was a special punishment for wicked men that they got whipped 39 times on the back you know how many times paul received 39 lashes You know Judah? Five times. Man, those betting house kids. Been reading their Bibles. They're already done with their Bible reading. Five times. Anybody want to do the math? I haven't done it yet. Come on, Liam. (laughs) I think I got it. 195? Got it. Uh, on top of that, on top of those 195 uh, whip lashes on his back, he was beaten with rods three times, he was stoned once, and on top of that, he was shipwrecked three times. Do you think the Apostle Paul had a few scars on his body? Yes. He actually calls them the brand marks of Jesus Christ. This is why Paul describes his own body in Timothy's in verse 7 of what Pastor Belcher just read to us, earthen vessels. What, is, what does that mean? What in the world is an earthen vessel? What is he talking about? In real life terms, what's an earthen vessel? Yeah. A pot, a clay pot is another word for that, okay? Earthen vessel, just made out of dirt stuck together for no special appearance. And this is where we come to the paradox. The Apostle Paul says that he and Timothy carry around the treasure of the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ in earthen vessels, which is to say, their plain, unimpressive outward appearance. Now tell me, when a man buys a sparkly diamond wedding ring, do you kids know what kind of box it comes in? Yeah, Jubilee, what kind of box does it come in? Yeah, a little pretty velvet box, right? Usually a very nicely adorned little, it's simple, but pretty box, right? Because inside is a treasure. But what Paul is talking about is like carrying around that precious, beautiful diamond ring in a little cardboard box, or maybe in a paper bag. There's this beautiful, glorious gospel, but it's being delivered by lackluster men. Kind of strange, isn't it, if you think about it? But the Apostle Paul gives a reason for this contrast between the treasure and the earthen vessels it's being carried around in. What does he say? In verse 7, he says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Can you put this up there, James? Would you jump? You have to go back. Um, But to verse 7 from our Scripture reading. He says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that, here's the reason, The surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. In other words, the apostle Paul says they wouldn't want, and God wouldn't want, the container that's carrying around the treasure to distract in any way from the treasure itself. The goal is for the treasure inside to get all of the attention, all of the glory, we could say. And the vessel, well, it's just a vessel. It's for carrying the thing around. It's a container. And we want that vessel to have the attitude of John the Baptist towards Jesus Christ. Do you remember what John said? He said, he must increase and I must decrease. John recognized that he was just a messenger of the true glorious one and did not want people fixating on him. The Apostle Paul goes on to describe his earthiness in verse 8. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, which means foiled, frustrated, not able to accomplish what they wanted to accomplish, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, hated by people, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus. Now here we see that something else is going on here. The apostles actually weren't the only ones who lacked glory in their outward appearance. As a matter of fact, the Lord Jesus, if we remember, was rather unimpressive in his appearance when he was on earth, wasn't he? What did Jesus look like? What do you think? What did he look like? How would you describe what Jesus looked like? Beautiful, long, flowing hair, gazing intently into heaven. A very handsome man, right, Jesus? I used to think this when I was a kid. I was very perverse. I thought I wanted to be good looking and, you know, muscular and all of these things. I thought, well, if Jesus really had to be tempted in every way, I'll bet he was a stunningly good looking man, you know? No, he wasn't. He was nothing much to speak of. There was nothing about his outward appearance that we would esteem him, that we would look at him and go, whew, I want to follow that guy. Just a normal looking guy. The Apostle Paul teaches us in this passage something he was relentless in teaching all of the Christians he ministered to, as we see in many of his letters, and that is this. Union with Christ consists of two things, two parts. Okay, being united with Jesus Christ. One is, and the first is being united with Him in His death. And then the second part is being united with Him, being one with Him in His resurrection life. Now, most of the time we want to skip over the first part of union with Christ, His death. And just take advantage of the second part of union with Christ, a glorious and pleasant life free of suffering. Isn't that true? But that's not how it works. Being one with Jesus Christ means being united with him in both his death and his resurrection. You can't have one without the other. If we want to share in the glorious resurrection life of Jesus, we must first be sharers in his sufferings and his death. This is what Romans 8 says. It says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Okay, this is what we have from the Lord. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. We have the promise of a glorious inheritance of eternal life in Christ Jesus, but that promise is only for those who suffer with him. But we do suffer with Him so that we may also be glorified with Him because He does not fail to reward those who suffer for His name's sake. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit teaches us through the Apostle Paul here. He says there always... Is this up there? Yes, there it is. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus. Sorry, I lost my spot. Yeah, so that... And he says the same thing here so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. In other words, suffering with Jesus is the only path that leads to being glorified with Jesus. But it's the suffering part that trips us up. You'll remember, and this is what tripped up the Corinthians as well. You'll remember that Pastor Bailey was preaching to us just last Sunday about how Jesus Christ is what? A stumbling stone or a stumbling rock, right? And this is why. It's this aspect of the gospel, suffering with Jesus Christ and for Jesus Christ, which is foolishness to Gentiles and a stumbling block to the Jews. It's the fact that we must be united with Christ in his suffering. But the encouraging part is that God absolutely will glorify those who are united with Christ in his death. Mr. Thistleton read it to us earlier in Romans 6, if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Okay, now all of this brings us up to the end of chapter 4, verse 16, if you can jump to that, James. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18, the very last three chapter, or sorry, verses, says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. And here it's again the Apostle Paul talking about him and Timothy. We do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The Apostle Paul here at the end of chapter 4 describes the wondrous work that is happening inside of him. He says his outer man is decaying. And we've talked about the ways that that was true with the Apostle Paul, what we talked about earlier. His outer man was being delivered over to death, right? His body was broken and beat and scarred. So when he's talking about his outer man, what's he talking about? He's talking about his body, right? Your outer man is the part of you that you can see. That's what it means to talk about our, our our outer man. And we'll get sorry, and that's as opposed to your inner man which you cannot see, and we'll get to that in a minute. But first I do want to talk for a minute about our outer man. And I want us to stop and think for a minute about the fact that the apostles themselves were subject to death. Now just think for a minute about that. These men, specially commissioned by Jesus to establish his kingdom on the earth, they aren't around anymore because they've all died. It's quite sad and sobering if you think about it. After all, we all want to keep living, most of us for pretty good, or sorry, many of us for good reasons. Some bad reasons we want to keep living, but some of us for good reasons, right? I want to be alive tomorrow so that I can provide for my wife and my children physically, spiritually, emotionally. I pray, and we probably all pray, that God will give our children long lives so that they can honor Christ and build his kingdom. And death is horrible because it prevents that from happening, right? And then I read this passage and I soberly remember the fact that the Apostle Paul eventually died. And I think, can I even begin to imagine myself doing anything for the rest of my life that begins to measure up to what the Apostle Paul did in one day? And yet even he was subject to the decaying of the outer man. Even the holiest of men are subject to death. And as if it weren't enough that they... The apostles grew old and decayed like ordinary people. Their deaths were actually hastened by unnatural suffering of affliction and persecution. It just doesn't seem right, does it? Of anybody, shouldn't the apostles have been given long lives on the earth? But that's not how it works. In fact, the Apostle Paul makes the point here that he actually carries around in his body the dying of Jesus, meaning that he knows he is heading towards death. And this is actually part of his gospel ministry. And as wondrous and surprising as it is, God is often pleased to use the death of his children to advance his kingdom. I often think of this when, I, when someone godly dies too early, or what you think is too early. I often think of Psalm one sixteen fifteen, which says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. This was true, if we remember, of our Lord Himself who died to establish His kingdom. It was true of the apostles who were united with Him in the likeness of His death and died to establish the kingdom of Christ. And we too are experiencing the decaying of our outer man. Is your outer man decaying? Now, I know you haven't been beaten a dozen times, for preaching the gospel. I don't think anybody here has. Maybe once. But you have suffered in various ways, and your sufferings and your afflictions are from God. The book of Common Prayer says, in the midst of life, we are in death. And that's how I've felt the past year or two. It was true, and it always has been true, even before COVID hit, but COVID has highlighted our weakness and our susceptibility to death in any number of ways. And we are subject to death. Many of us here have experienced the death of children. Perhaps more of us have seen our children narrowly escape death in any number of ways. Many of us have feared that our children were going to die and they were spared. This last year and a half has felt like a year and a half of death to me. It was started for us uh, in our November of 2020 with the death of one of our very good friends who was 43, I think, 42, 43, in Bloomington, Adam Spadey. Just this past year, some of our other friends that you, some of you know, Joe Rice, Charlie Dugdale, died within a few weeks of each other. Brian Hobson, Mrs. Hobson's husband, died... Seth's grandma, Mary Ann Thistleton. We're surrounded by death. I know this is trivial, but just a few weeks ago, we lost our first pet, Blueberry. (laughs) Our fish. Which was sad, right? It was sad, but we are surrounded by death. And it reminds us that each one of us is going to die. And we don't know when. Even while we live we experience the workings of death in our lives through things like weakness and injury. Whether it's stress fractures or back problems or kidney diseases or other health problems, we physically feel the nearness of death in our decaying bodies. It seems like most of us have experienced or are currently experiencing COVID. Praise God, in general, so far in our number, there hasn't been Anything detrimental, but still it's a bit unnerving even to lose your taste and smell, right? It's a strange taste of death. And while it was relatively easy for me to endure that momentary light affliction for a week or two, we should be careful not to be too flippant about shrugging off even the little suffering that God gives us. After all, the decay of our bodies can't be separated from the reality of sin. In fact, some of us, actually suffer in various physical ways as a direct result of our sin. And that's because many sins wreak havoc on the body. And a decaying body is often a painful reminder of the destructive power of sin, sometimes even your own sin. But even if you can't think of any specific bodily ailments which have resulted from your sins, the simple fact that you are going to die and that your body is decaying is a result of sin, your father Adam's sin. Through one man, sin entered into the world, and through sin, what? Death. Death entered through sin. And this curse of death is so prevalent and so surrounds us that painful suffering often attends us even when we are doing what is right and good. Just think about the pain which mothers go through in bringing forth children. Even as you mothers create and give life, you give up your own. Your body stretches, it tears, it breaks down, and it's terribly painful and difficult to bear. Now, these are a lot of reasons to lose heart, it's a whole lot of reasons to get depressed. And I think that was the worst symptom I experienced and was caught off guard by when I had COVID, is that I got very depressed, which means, which means I lost heart, right? As the Apostle Paul would put it. And as a result, I got very angry and I sinned in anger against my family. But the Apostle Paul had many more reasons to be dispirited than I've ever had. And yet he says that he and Timothy did not lose heart, even in the face of death lashings, beatings, stonings, shipwrecks. How is it possible that they, of all people, did not lose heart? He tells us. He says it's because, verse 16 up there, it's because our inner man is being renewed day by day. Now what is this inner man that the Apostle Paul is talking about? What do you think, kids? Yes, Jubilee. Your spirit, your soul Right? There's a part of you that you cannot see, but is a very real part of you, which is inside of you, your inner man. We get a little fuller picture from the Apostle Paul about what's going on with the inner man in the life of a Christian in Ephesians 3. He tells the Ephesian Christians that he prays for them. Paul does this in many of his letters. He says, I pray for you. And this is his prayer for the Ephesians that God the Father would grant them, according to the riches of his glory, To be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith, and that they, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that they may be filled up to all the fullness of God. It's quite a prayer, isn't it? This is the work that goes on inside of us in our hearts. By the power of the Holy Spirit, God fills up his people with the knowledge of the love of Jesus Christ. Now that does manifest itself in many outward ways, and visible ways in the life of a Christian, but what we're aiming for is what happens on the inside. Christ dwelling in our hearts, making us to know his love and being filled up to all the fullness of God. If we are united with Jesus by faith in him, the spirit of Jesus is at work inside of us, renewing our inner man, making us more alive, making us more holy, more obedient, more aware of Christ's love and of God's grace toward us. All this, even as our outer man is decaying, fading away, getting sick, suffering injury, even dying. And knowing that God is working inside of us in this way encourages us in the face of our physical suffering. But it's not just knowing that our inner man is being renewed that gives us hope. There is actually a direct relationship between that decaying of our outer man and the renewing of our inner man. Did you notice this? In verse 17, the Apostle Paul says, momentary light affliction, and just remember, he's talking about Receiving 39 lashes and getting beaten and stoned. When he says momentary light affliction. okay, But momentary light affliction is producing. That is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. The afflictions of this life are not just to be tolerated, just because we know something better is happening in a different part of ourselves. But rather, it's the afflictions themselves that produce inside of us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. You should understand this reality from various areas of earthly experience. Have you guys heard the expression, no pain, no gain? No. Too bad. man. Not yet. Now you've heard it. No pain, no gain. I remember hearing it probably on some sports team. My coach probably said that, right? It's one of the most common places. And what's it supposed to mean? No pain, no gain. It rhymes. It's a proverb. What does no pain, no gain mean? Someone tell me. Clueless. Yes, that's right. And the positive way of saying it would be that you put pain and suffering into practicing and working hard and there will be benefit, right? But you don't. If you're not willing to suffer and work hard, You don't get the good benefits, whether it's practicing a sport, practicing an instrument, pouring in hard work to your business, to your family. All of these things require hard work and suffering and giving of yourself, right, to produce something that is good. In the same way, the afflictions of this life are God's training ground and His school for His children. God redeems our suffering, our affliction, the death at work in our bodies. He gives them purpose. He uses those things, what the Apostle Paul calls light momentary afflictions, to produce in us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And it's this life's sufferings that actually unite us to Jesus Christ. Our sufferings aren't just, oh yeah, i got to suffer. But those are the things that unite us to him and cause us by the power of the Holy Spirit to become more like Jesus. And that's the goal here, to be as it says in verse 18 of chapter 3, before what we just read. The goal is to be transformed into the image of Christ by the work of His Spirit in our hearts. Now let's continue and see what it looks like for someone to give themselves to this work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Verse 18 says, We look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are unseen so as far as we are concerned as persons what's the seen part of you we said what's your seen part the part of you that you can see what is it your some blurt it out you can blurt it out your body yes your body is the seen part that outward physical part of us part of us which is decaying And all of our bodies are decaying. It's harder to remember when you're young, easier to remember when you're old. But, (laughs) oh, I should mention, uh, last night at dinner, uh, we had Melissa. You guys should meet Melissa over. And we were, how did this come up? Uh, Oh, we we were reading something else from the Gospels, and uh, I asked my kids if they know any old, wise people. And the first name (laughs) off their lips was, Daddy. Daddy. (laughs) <laughs> uh, and then uh, someone said well and then uh, Mr. Mr. Thistleton and Mr. Patrick came up too but I wanted to let you know I was the first on the list so. we're all decaying it's harder to remember when you're young it's easy to remember when you're older but the Apostle Paul is talking about more than just our bodies here okay when he says the things that are seen the things that are seen are all of the things of this world in general which is to say the things which are passing away, which is to say temporal things. You see that word there, temporal things? It might be on the next slide. Yeah, thank you, James. The things which are seen are temporal. That means they don't last forever. They're going away. They're fading away. Um, and these things, these temporal things, often pertain to our bodies in various ways. We want to make sure we think about more than just our bodies. So think about what our bodies need, food, right? What does Scripture say about food? The Apostle Paul, in an earlier letter, he writes to these same Christians, says food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with them both. In other words, it's not worth spending too much time concerned about food, because food perishes, and so do do our bodies. The same is true of clothes. We need them. But this is what Jesus says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Over and over again, Scripture teaches us to relegate the earthly things of this world in preference for those things that are not seen. We could say this about all sorts of earthly things money, houses, cars, businesses, the institutions that we build. They're all things destined to perish with use. These are the things that are seen, that are temporal. Well, let's turn to the things that are not seen or that are unseen. As far as you are concerned, as a person, what is the unseen part of you? You can blurt it out. What? Yeah, your soul. Your inner man, as the Apostle Paul puts it here. And he says that our inner man, if we are in Christ Jesus, is being renewed day by day by the power of the Holy Spirit. And just as we were talking about more than our bodies when we were talking about what is seen, so we must understand that when we talk about the things which pertain to our soul, we are talking about more than just our inner man. If you continue reading... In uh, chapter 5, it says this at the beginning. It says, For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Did you hear that? That's what we're supposed to look at to fix our eyes on. The building that's from God, not our earthly house or our earthly building or our earthly body, but the house that is not made with hands, that is eternal, it lasts forever and it's in the heavens. That's what we're supposed to look at, the Apostle Paul says. And you say, uh, but it's invisible. How on earth am I supposed to look at it? Well, the simple answer is that we must look at the glorious things that are not seen with the eyes of faith. The Apostle Paul says in the next chapter, again, we walk by faith and not by faith. Sight. I keep hoping you guys will. I know some of you can fill in these blanks. Walk by faith and not by sight. right? But what does that mean? Well, to put it one way, it means that we must attend to the health of our inner man. And we must do so even more fervently than we attend to the health of our outer man. We know a whole lot about attending to the health of our inner man the health and prosperity of our outer man and to the other things that are seen in this world, right? We spend hours upon hours, we spend our lives attending to our outer man, to food, to clothing. But remember our Lord's warning. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world, even if you succeeded in gaining the whole world, what does it profit you to do that and forfeit your soul, your inner man? So let us attend To the health of our souls. We get practical here. Let us attend to the health of our souls this year. I'm glad I got to preach. I offered to preach on New Year's. I like preaching things that have a direction for what we're going to talk about. And if you noticed, a lot of our scriptures today were about things being made new and the work that Christ does in making all things new, as it says in Revelation 21. So we need to attend to the health of our souls this year so that our inner man is renewed. And here are some ways you can attend to the health of your soul, of your inner man, okay? Number one is feed the inner man. What do I mean by that? Well, very practically, read God's Word. It is through God's Word that we are renewed day by day. Do you know what that old wise man, Mr. Thistleton, says about reading the Bible every day? He says when he doesn't read the Bible in the morning, it's like he hasn't taken a shower. He feels unwashed, unclean, and not prepared for the day ahead. And I think we should all strive to reflect that hunger for God's Word. But let me tell you, that willful dependence on God's Word didn't just spring up out of nowhere. It has been cultivated and developed over years, decades of giving himself to feeding on God's word. And the more you feed on bread from heaven, the more you realize it's the only thing that satisfies. So give yourself to reading God's word is number one. Number two is commune with God. Now, of course, communion with God happens through reading his word. But I want to also exhort you as you read God's word, and I want to exhort us all to participate in reading on some level our church reading plan this year. Um, There are a couple different versions in case you didn't see. There's like the full plan, and then there's another plan that just takes a couple of chapters or one or two chapters from the full plan each day, but it stays on the same track as it goes through God's Word. So if you've never done this before and are overwhelmed by the thought of getting through the whole Bible, try the abbreviated one, or if you're younger, for you kids. You can do the abbreviated one. But there are some of you kids who should not resort to the abbreviated one, you older kids. Um, I know you read a lot, and you should give yourself to reading God's Word. Um, But commune with God as you read His Word, which means you ought to pray as you read your Bible. It's very possible to read God's Word with a hard heart and to not let it affect you. It's very difficult to do that if you pray. And seek the Lord's blessing and His work of His Spirit as you read His Word. And as you read things in His Word and feel convicted or feel joy or feel any number of things or realize things, turn to the Lord in prayer and give Him glory and thanks and confess your sins to Him. Read your Bible, commune with God through prayer, and then give yourself to the fellowship to fellowship with the people of God. We have the privilege, as children of God, of regarding one another, relating to each other, not just according to the flesh and sharing in outward worldly interests with each other, but of regarding one another according to the Spirit. As believers, we each have the Spirit of God at work inside of us, and our love for one another is unmatched among the world. It's not something that the world can produce. Let us love and give ourselves to Christian fellowship this year, of knowing and being known by one another. A part of this happens through worship itself, which is an important part, perhaps perhaps the most important part of establishing the kingdom of Christ. One of the verses that we have uh, Been communicating in in our communications about reading the Bible has been Romans 15, which says, Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another. Pastor Bailey taught us at our meeting about that. Be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. So that, here's the reason that we want to be of the same mind so that with one accord together, You may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, as we become united in mind and in heart, we come together and we sing better together to the Lord. We can lift up our voices and our hearts together in unity, and God gets glory when his people do that, and that's what we want. Give yourself to the worship of God with his people. We need the encouragement of singing with and to one another. Read your Bible, commune with God through prayer, give yourself to fellowship with God's people, and then lastly, count it all joy when you suffer. When you encounter trials of various kinds, don't be afraid to suffer. Don't be afraid of sickness, of injury, of the suffering that you endure as a mother. Don't be afraid of death. God calls us to give of ourselves. This is the life of a Christian. Is that is a life of giving. For our Lord said it is better to give than to receive. And we give up our lives daily. And experience, if we are faithful, we experience the decaying of our bodies day by day, like the Apostle Paul did. And yet we have hope because our inner, our inner man is being renewed day by day. And so don't let your life be driven by an avoidance of suffering. Often that's an easy trap to fall into is that we think that's the best path for our life is an avoidance of all possible suffering. But that's not the life that God calls us to. He calls us to count it all joy when we suffer and when we encounter trials of various kinds. I just want to make one final comment, which is what we're talking about, this renewing of the inner man is something that only the Holy Spirit can do. It is the work of God in the life of someone who has faith in Christ. And there's a big difference between what's going on in the life of someone who does not, has not trusted in Christ, and the life of someone who has trusted in Christ. All of us, across the board, every human being on the face of the earth, our bodies are decaying, right? (laughs) Going down, fading away. The Christian has the hope that his inner man, even while his outer man is decaying, that the inner man is being renewed and is pressing towards glory the glory that has been promised to us in Christ Jesus. If you are not united with Christ by faith, that outer decaying of your man is just the hopeless, painful reminder of the decaying of your inner man as well. Headed towards death and judgment. And so you must seek after and lay hold of Jesus Christ with all of your heart. And you will have joy and hope even in the midst of the the pain and suffering of this life and a promise of an inheritance in him. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for coming to this earth in weakness, in the weakness of our human flesh. We thank You for being obedient to Your Father, obedient even to the point of death on a cross. We give You glory and honor and thank You for being raised from the dead by the power of the Spirit and for being raised up to a new life that we might share in it with You. I pray that You would cause Your dwelling place to be made in the hearts of each one of us here, old and young and that you would help us to walk in your ways this year, to be faithful to seek you in your word and to find you there when we do seek you. Do not forsake us and do not keep yourself hidden to us, but remove the veil that lies over our eyes and our hearts that we might understand and comprehend the fullness of your love and that we might grow up into all the fullness of God as individuals and as your people, as your body. We pray these things in your name to your Father. Amen.